This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked in the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. I have had a pretty busy week. My oldest graduated from high school this week and is off to Santa Barbara in the fall, so we are so excited. I just wanted to give a shout out to Audrey and, and tell her how proud I am of her. Um, I've already cried a bunch. I can't do it again. So (laughs) it was a really cool ceremony. And I shared some photos on my personal Instagram, if anybody is curious, but it was wonderful. And it's just, where has the time gone? (laughs) It's like all I can think about right now. Um, So this episode is not really like heavy, but it is spicy. We talk about purity culture. So we're going to talk about sex and religion and all of those things that encompass that. So if those are triggering topics, just use some caution uh, and skip it if you need to. One of the things that we talk about in this episode that Kindle brings up are these viral drinks on TikTok called Borgs. And I really wasn't sure what they were, so I Googled it. I'm sure some of you are like, yeah, duh. I didn't know, <laughs> but it's, it is an acronym. This is great. This is this. <laughs> Thanks, Gen Z. This is an acronym for a drink called a blackout rage gallon. (laughs) Um, It's it's an interesting concept and we do talk about it. So when it comes up now, you know what they are. And I threw an article about them in the show notes if you are interested as well. Very interesting way to drink now on college campuses. Speaking of graduating. So anyway, uh, I got an email this week asking me, how to politely decline your friend's advances to joining or supporting their MLM. And um, over the year, I've sort of refined my answer to this. It's changed. And I do think that this answer is still sort of a spectrum with what you are comfortable with and what your personality is. I think some people are a little more uh, out there and are a lot more willing and open to speaking exactly what is on their mind and what they are feeling in the moment. Some people are open to receiving that and some people are not. Uh, I think that just in my experience, this is such a touchy subject because people are really so like one side or the other um, if you're passionate about it. And I think sometimes you want to support your friend and you're like buying a lipstick isn't that big, big of a deal. But it, you know, it in turn, it, it does support the system as a whole. And so Usually when someone asks me if I'm interested, uh, I say, oh, you know what? No, thank you. I don't support multi-level marketing. And I just sort of leave it as this sort of open-ended like, what? Why? What does that even mean? I don't even know. Why would you not support it? 
the ball is now in their court and they can decide whether or not to further the conversation and say, oh, well, what is that or why not? And then you can kind of launch into it because they sort of asked you, right? Uh, If you go toward your friend and you give too much information too quickly, uh, you can be alienated because oftentimes in MLMs, they will tell you like, hey, people are going to call you all these names and they're going to say you're in a pyramid scheme and those people are negative and you need to cut them out. So like they're already prepared for this sort of interaction. And if you are the safe person in their life that they can come to, you are going to help a lot more people. So I would just say personally for me, what I like to do is sort of leave it in that open ended. I don't support MLMs, but I wish you luck and let them sort of uh, say, why not? You can go from there. And if you listen to the show, then you probably have an arsenal of reasons why not that you can give them ranging again on a spectrum from being very, very tame to really out there speaking your mind. There are tons of examples on the show of that. So that's sort of how I approach it. Uh, not a lot of people approach me, luckily. I think I've put the vibe out there pretty good. Uh, most people don't ask, but it does come up sometimes. It's usually strangers on the street at street fairs or people I run into. I want to let you know if you have watched Shiny Happy People that we have Shiny Happy People episodes coming up. I'm having a couple interviews this week and I'm really excited to bring that content to you. So make sure that you are watching that documentary. It is on Amazon Prime Video. Checking that out and joining the conversation with us on social media if you are so inclined. We are doing a bunch of new things uh, on Patreon, which is really exciting. I've I'm just, I've been meaning to do this. I'm just like, I don't, I need help. And I I have the help now and I'm actually being able to do the things that I've wanted to do for a really long time. So we have the book club with Hey Hun. We're having our first meeting this weekend to talk about the first couple chapters. If you want to join us, you are more than welcome to join us. And then the other thing that I'm doing, and if you follow me on social media, you already know, I am bringing back Hun Berta. And if you've never watched me on YouTube, you're probably like, wait, what? So Hunberta or The Adventures of Hunberta was a series that I did on YouTube for a while where I reacted to my old MLM content and sort of like made fun of myself. (laughs) And uh, it's pretty funny. And so my friend RK is helping me edit my reaction videos and we are putting them up on Patreon right now. Uh, for now, that is where they're going to be, and there will always be Patreon-exclusive episodes of Hunberta that you can only see over there. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the uh, what the general consensus on bringing back Hunberta to the public is, and maybe I will make public-specific episodes. We will see. I don't know. Right now, I'm really focusing on Patreon um, and making that uh, a fun place to join. So, you know, join for the book club and stay for the Hunberta content. And people that are a member of the Patreon already know, but I am doing a revamping of the brand. We're going to be changing music and intros and outros and just sort of updating everything, going like even more professional and making the show even better. I always strive to be better than I was. And that's why if you listen to like episodes two, three, four, five, they're very raw. Actually, I don't even know. For a good portion of the first year, the episodes are really raw because I didn't know it was a hobby. It was my COVID hobby. But as people started listening and, and offering suggestions and saying, you should do this, or you should do that, or, Hey, mute exists. Uh, you know, 
things changed and I, I edited the show. I don't have time to go back and, you know, Taylor's version, everything right now. I just don't, uh, it would be great. I just don't have that time right now. And so this is what it is. If, if you like the more polished episodes, I tell people <laughs> start with the most recent. And if you like listening to people like grow and self-actualize in real time, start at episode one. <laughs> it's a whole journey. You can really pick up on any episode anywhere. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you again. I'm rambling because it is just so nice to sit down sort of like at the end of my week before I publish all of these and put these all up and just have this little one-on-one chat. I feel like this is our little time to sip our coffee and, and talk about what's happened to us this week. And lastly, I want to thank our newest Patreon members and welcome them to the family. Elizabeth Smith, Katie Silverman, Tara Holmes, and Alyssa Nelson. Thank you so much for the support. It is just, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy. I really appreciate it. Enjoy this episode. It's super fun. It's kind of spicy. (laughs) And it's loaded with laughs. I think you're going to like it. And if not, well, you know, I'll see you next week. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. I've been talking about this topic and talking about wanting to talk about this topic for a really long time. I put out a call to action. I got some people to respond to me, which is so great. Today, we're going to be talking about purity culture and sex and religion and all of that. It's come up so much on TikTok and social media. I see it everywhere. And it's time. It's time we talk about this. If you're a little uncomfortable about this topic, skip it. Come back to it. It's important. That's why we're making this episode. I want to welcome to the show, Kendall. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's just it's a good day. And I'm I'm so happy to be sitting here across from you and talking about something that before we hit record, I was like, I don't really know a lot about purity culture. And we had like a five minute conversation. I was like, never mind, maybe I do. And they were just my own experiences growing up. So it's gonna be really fun. If you were in a religious institution and you experienced this, if you just had parents who were waspy, <laughs> you're gonna be you might experience this too. I am in the latter. I had super waspy parents uh who weren't even Protestant, which is the funny thing. But we're just gonna we're gonna start talking about this. We're gonna start at the beginning and Uh, Kendall, I'm going to let you take it away. Awesome. So I grew up in the church. My mom grew up Methodist. My dad grew up Baptist. When we moved back to the States after my dad got out of the army, we found a Baptist church. Fantastic. No big deal. As we got older, rules started coming out. Rules involving significant others. You know, never alone with your significant other. Never behind closed doors. Save yourself. Wait until you're married. All of that stuff. And it was at home and it was at church. And at church, it was a little more subtle because you don't talk about sex at church. Absolutely not. That's not discussed. But, you know, back as far as church camp in third grade, the rules, one of the big rules was about interactions with members of the opposite gender. You were not to be alone. Like you were to travel girls with the girls, guys with the guys, like you could sit by each other with at meals and whatnot, but those counselors had eyes like hawks and they were watching. You know, what's so funny is I actually went to a Christian church camp and that's how it was. There were two hills and the first hill was the girl's hill. So I guess we didn't have to walk as far and no boys were even allowed to go up that at all. And they were all A-frame cabins. So, I mean, it was pretty open, but the second hill was the boy's hill. Like even the boy counselors, like there were no men allowed 
on the girls' hill, and there were no oh females allowed on the boys' hill. I don't even know to this day what the boys' hill looks like. <laughs> That's crazy. It's so it's just, like it's the know. same. It's like so strange. So yes. this segregation of gender it just happened. But everywhere. trying to be subtle about it, subtle Ish. segregation. Yes, because again, we could interact with them. We could talk to them, like, but most of the activities that we did were with the other girls' cabins. Swim time, we all got to go down to the lake at the same time, but you had better, if you're walking from your cabin to the lake, you need to have a cover-up on, whether it's a dress, an oversized t-shirt, something. And then when you took off that cover-up, it had better be a one-piece swimsuit. One-piece swimsuits have never worked well for me because like, if they fit up top, they're too loose on the bottom, or they're saggy in places, and then I have a tit popping out. That's not attractive, and that's going to break the rules at church camp. That's not purity culture. <laughs> right? Let's keep the tits put away here. And, but, and as soon as you got out of that lake and started walking back to the cabin, you you could be wrapped in your towel, but you'd better be covered. It couldn't be slung over your shoulder. They couldn't possibly see a hint of butt cheek. But the boys, now the boys could just throw their towels around their necks. The boys could walk down to the beaches with whatever. And like at the time, I didn't think anything of it because you know I was raised, I was the only girl of four brothers and raised with three of them. That'll come into play later. <laughs> so I didn't think anything of the guys not wearing, not having to be covered until later in life when I realized I'm like, that's a fucking double standard. I yeah. had to be covered like head to toe, go down to go swimming. And as soon as I got in the water, it was fine. I could climb the ladder to the diving platform and just my swimsuit. But as soon as I stepped out of that lake, cover that shit up. And again, at the time I was in third grade, it wasn't a big deal. It was the rules. It was whatever. Yeah, but, but looking back on it now, you, you can see, like, the blatant double standard. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was one of the lucky ones who developed very early. Fourth grade, I started developing boobs. By sixth grade, my boobs were bigger than my mom's. I was, like, one of the first in my class to get boobs. There's a boy who picked on me relentlessly. My senior year of high school, he finally goes, do you want to know why I picked on you so much in fourth grade? I was like, actually, I always kind of wondered. He goes, because you were the only girl I knew who had boobs. And I thought it was awesome. Like, why can't we like normalize just talking to people and being like, hi, I like you, as opposed to like poking or here's something, snapping bras. Ugh, that happened all the time. And I hated that. I'm like, stop touching me. But then we got in trouble because our bra straps were showing. But you have to wear it. And if you don't wear it, that's also distracting. Yes. From the time I started, my dad was like, tie necklines, watch those necklines and make sure everything is covered. And like, my dad was really big on it. And at the time, I just, it was just annoying. Like, it just pissed me off. And, you know, my skirts had to be, you better watch where that slit is. If there's a slit and it's got to be a certain length and even my shorts. And I'm like, it is summer. I am at home. It's just my brothers. They're not thinking about me like that. Let me just wear the freaking shorts or the tank top. Like, why is it a big deal? I'm not sitting over here flashing myself. I was 10, 11, 12 years old, but it was very much a thing. And what I wore to church was very much a thing. And again, with developing boobs early, I couldn't wear button ups without a tank top underneath because they gapped. I couldn't wear anything that had a slight V. I've got birthday pictures. We got birthday pictures every year. I have multiple pictures where I picked out what I thought was a really cute shirt. And then I had to wear a tank top under it to bring the neckline up. I'm like, I just want to wear this top because heaven forbid, you should see a little bit of chest bone, see a little bit of that sternum there. But, you know, the slightest hint of cleavage sent my dad into a tizzy, which again, we'll figure out why later. But you're but, also a child. 
It's not like you're a voluptuous 30 year old woman who's flaunting and saying, Hey, you're a child. You're not, yeah, you're not sexualizing yourself. Someone else is sexualizing you. This inadvertent sexualization, like people are like, what? Like we're just covering up, but it's because you're trying to avert the male gaze because your shoulders are so sexy and wanton that I can't control myself. So you have to cover them up. And a higher neckline is not going to cover the outline of the boob. You can still see all of that. What what is the higher neckline going to do? Like it's not covering anything up other than a a dip in my skin, like cleavage, Satan's tool. Which is so So normal. Um, And 50% of the population, if not more, has that at some point. Yes. Yes. So then in eighth grade, I started cheerleading. We had bloomers. And then under that, we had bodysuits that snapped between our legs. Like everything was covered. No big deal. Oh, let me say this. My class was the first class when we got to middle school. The school implemented a dress code because of my class or started with my class. They claim it wasn't our fault, but there wasn't one before. And it was super strict, like no midriffs, you know, three shoulder width tank tops, certain cleavage had to be like certain amount had to be covered. And then they, you know, they had rules for the boys too, like no oversized stuff, you know, carrying backpacks, whatever was mainly for us girls. But when I got to high school, the dress code rolled up with us. The first home football game, the cheerleaders wore their uniforms during the day, just like the guys wore their jerseys, whatever. It was how it was. The next home football game, we showed up in our uniforms and other girls within the school showed up with shorter shorts or shorter skirts. And they all got dress coded. And every single one of them said, I am not breaking any rules because the cheerleaders skirts are shorter than mine. And if they can wear their skirts on game days, I can wear these skirts. You can't say anything about it. After that, we were no longer allowed to wear our uniforms. We could wear the tops, we could wear the shells and the bodysuits, but we had to wear our warm-up pants or jeans. My senior year, they changed the football sideline uniforms to polos and a skort. Oh my God. Which was nice because the polos, when it was hot, as opposed to those polyester, like turtleneck bodysuits, long sleeves, the polos were fantastic in the hot games. The skorts... They weren't really much worse than the skirts. It was just all, you know, it was just the one connected thing. But they changed it because of the rules. But nothing about the tight pants on the football field. Right. Or the volleyball shorts. Those never got longer. Or the Speedos on the swim team. I mean, we didn't have a swim team, but yeah. Or the wrestling singlets. Let's Uh, talk about those wrestling singlets. Yeah. And we only ever had like one or two girls who wrestled. They're almost their entire sports bras were hanging out of their singlets because they didn't come up high enough because it's a wrestling singlet. It's made for a man, but nothing was done about that. I mean, what are they going to do? Make a wrestle in a t-shirt? That's a safety hazard. But the cheerleaders, because we're dancing and jumping and flipping and everything else, apparently we're an issue. Concerts for band, we had to wear polos and khakis, whether it was a khaki skirt or a khaki pants, whatever. We looked like freaking Walmart employees. <laughs> With our blue polos and our khaki pants. But I had a skirt in particular that I liked that was slit. Uh, it was still an appropriate slit. But when I said, I played tuba. I am five foot one and I played a full size tuba. So the tuba sat between my legs. So I liked this skirt because I could take the, it was slit up both sides and that could just put the slit between my legs and everything was covered honky dory. I wore that one concert and was asked to never wear it again because wow. of how much leg showed when I 
when I put the tuba between my legs. I, I what do they expect? You have to put a giant tuba between your legs. Like wear pants. Wear a longer like it was a full length skirt. It was a maxi skirt. It just was slit halfway up my thigh. There was also days where I would wear skirts like dress up for cheer competitions. And I would then grab an extra chair and set the tuba on the chair next to me so that I could keep my knees together. And that was also a problem. I'm like, I'm in the band room. I am practicing. I am dressed for my extracurricular activity. You are also an extracurricular activity. Nothing is being harmed by this chair seating next to me as opposed to the tuba being between my legs. Would you like me to flash it? Come to find out later that band director was sleeping with a former student so maybe you know you never know but oh how weird the people making mm. the rules were the ones that were breaking them mm. I have, this is the first time this ever happened yeah so. the things you find out after the fact that you're like hey is that is that really why you had a problem with what i was wearing was that was that it Wow. Wow. Yeah. So what were some of the purity culture things that you experienced at church? If this is what you were experiencing, like on your day-to-day non-church school life, what was some of the stuff that was happening within the church? So our church, we had a good split of the public school kids. And then there was a private Christian academy in the area. And a lot of our kids went there too. We laughed all the time, joking about you know, how you could dance at their dances, you know, you can move your shoulders, but don't you move your hips and the rules, like their dress code for their dances, like nothing strapless. We made fun of it constantly, but there was also this, we're better because we're more pure because we have this Christian education. So then there was constantly this battle of which of the girls were more pure, but let's be real. The girls who were in the Christian school have turned out to be, the most promiscuous <laughs> of all of us and like we would we would have youth group lock-ins like movie nights we did a lord of the rings marathon lock-in one time and we, we were laying on the floor and they didn't care who was laying by who whatever we could talk uh, quietly if we wanted to talk we had to go somewhere else in the church there was like five six adults and however many kids so let's be real the adults weren't with us at all times and we would play sardines i don't know if you ever played that game but oh, one person yes. hides, another person goes and finds them. And at any time someone finds them, you just pack into that space. Well, very conveniently, there would be some coupling off while playing sardines, inevitably. <laughs> they were like, they were like laying there watching the movie and holding hands. There was a lot of that. I'll um, tell you, um, in my youth, the most like drama of who's hooking up with who and who's kissing who behind the thing happened at church camp like it didn't happen in middle school that much it didn't happen in elementary school but there was always this like where's so and so and so and so on the hike did they go into the woods are they hanging like oh yeah because we played all games like sardines and things like that and yes I confirmed (laughs) and it was just there was also a lot of the the rules for the dress code at church as well. It was, it was very much like school, but dad was even more strict about the church, like what I wore at church, because you had to be respectful to God with your modesty. And I'm like, I just really like this shirt and I want to wear it without having to wear a layer underneath it. Again, I'm not flashing my boob at anyone at church. I just right. want to wear this shirt. But then it's like, who are you having to be pure for? God or the man who wants you like i don't like who are you the creepy old man who really likes to hug the young girls you know yeah i don't know it was a mess and then then of course there was the 
the purity pledge, it wasn't as, as big a thing at church, but the private Christian school girls did their purity pledge. And so then it kind of seeped into the youth group and then it became a thing within our youth group. And we didn't all have purity rings, but we all, we all had this like almost unspoken, spoken purity pledge. Like we are going to save ourselves and we aren't going to do this stuff. And I mean, this entire thing is rooted in supremacy in being better than everyone else. I'm saving myself because I'm more important than you and God loves me more. And this is how it works. Like, it's just, it's all about being better than everyone else. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And the end of my 11th grade year is where a lot of the explanation for my parents' purity rules came into play. My mom had a child when she was 19 and gave him up for adoption was forced more or less to give him up for adoption. When I was a junior in high school, he decided to find his birth family, sent mom a Mother's Day card, and there we go. Blew the roof off your family. Absolutely. My older brother thought he was the oldest his entire life. My parents sat us down, all of us, all four of us, and said, my youngest brother goes, are you pregnant? Mom says, not really, but there's another kid. And we're like, and so as opposed to having three brothers i had four you know whatever but then it it all started making sense why dad was so protective why anytime i went out with a boyfriend they had to know where i was what we were doing if plans changed i had to notify them i was not allowed to be alone with any boyfriends if we were going to boyfriend's house to watch a movie who else was going to be there because someone else had better be there and if that plan changed we ended up going somewhere else i needed to call my parents first and let them know and it all started making sense because they didn't want me to end up in the same situation as my mom which okay i get it right but the way to educate your children to not end up in that same situation is not to hide it and pretend it doesn't exist and then drop it on the entire family. To be fair, it was a semi-closed adoption. Mom left hers like need to know basis. Like if something happens, medical history needed to come up. He could find her, but she wasn't finding him. So like I kind of get, you know, like I said, dad knew the whole time. Thank goodness. Like dad knew from the time he met mom, like it was, she wasn't dropping that bombshell on him, but it definitely, um, it definitely brought a lot of, made a lot of those rules make sense. But like my, this one makes me irritated. My senior pictures, I had, I picked out a really cute white dress with green and blue polka dots on it. It was really cute. And then the photographer stood me by a white fence. So of course all those pictures looked horrendous. And then the other shirt I picked was a square-necked shirt. It wasn't too low. At least I didn't think so. The back was sheer. But again, it wasn't too bad. The one picture that my dad liked of all of the pictures that the photographer took was me leaning against a tree looking over my shoulder because you couldn't see the cleavage and you couldn't tell that the back was sheer. One picture, that is the one senior picture I have is that one pose. Because dad said the rest of them just showed too much. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? 
I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet, and they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Am I supposed to be wearing a binder to show that I don't have boobs that I've, I've had boobs since I was 11 years old. Well, I mean, not here's change. the thing, like, who is he protecting anybody that's going to see that picture? If you have friends that you're worried are going to get aroused by looking at your teenage daughter, like you maybe don't hang them, hang out with them. Yes. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, who is he protecting your cleavage from? Well, and part of me wonders if it's, if that wasn't also a judgment thing, like, did my parents feel like they were going to be judged because their daughter had tits and right. had cleavage? Were they going to be looked down on at church because I developed younger? Were they going to get in trouble at church for what I was wearing? Because like I said, mom got spoken to about a skirt that showed half of her, the front of her knee on the platform. So and, we talked about that before we hit record. Your mom oh, yeah. was at church. Yes. She, she played clarinet down. in the orchestra. 
and her kneecap showed. Oh, the the kneecap, the devil's body part. Someone said something to her. They said something to her, like, maybe you should wear a longer skirt in church. My mother is never one to show her kneecap. Like, if she's standing up, her skirts are below her knees because she doesn't like her knees. So when she sat down and that kneecap showed, I'm sure she was just as uncomfortable as whoever was approaching her about it. A kneecap, not even her entire knee. Well, and this is how purity culture is affecting people who are already living in purity culture and feel like they're going by purity culture. Like your mom is very much like aware she's living in it. She's having her children live in it as well. And she sits down and goes, oh, crap, my knee. This is the wrong skirt. This is the skirt that's a quarter of an inch shorter than my other skirt. When I sit down, my knee is going to show. So she's already knowing, oh, my gosh. And then to have someone come up to her and point it out to just so Mm -hmm. you know. I also know. Like, it's just unnecessary. It's a kneecap. It is. It's not like she was bending over and everybody was seeing everything and they were like, oh my gosh, stand up. Everyone can see everything in a concerning way. It was a superiority thing. I'm better than you and your knee showed. Just letting you know. I'm more Christian than you. So, and I cover my knees. My wife is more Christian. She'd never show her knees. So, I think I wonder. a man that came up to her? Probably one of the deacons in the church. That just like, I thought it was a woman. I thought it was another <laughs> woman who was concerned. Oh, no. And like, just, oh, no. You know, oh, wow. Men, so, yeah, I'm don't wondering. do that. Thanks. Just a so, quick yeah, heads up. That wasn't part of it. That they were worried that they were going to get judged because I had boobs. And then my, my prom dress is senior. I was telling a friend this story the other day. I bought two prom dresses. So that I was like, I like them both. We'll see which one I like better. One of them came up to like a halter point in the front. So it was a high neck. And then when it was backless, but it was form fitting. The other dress was the stereotypical 2006, you know, strapless, lace back, poofy skirt. But when I tried them on for my dad before, because I couldn't pick, mom was like, I'm not going to pick. Dad liked the strapless one that was backless better than the halter one because the halter one was too form fitting. And all of us girls always, we always wore our dresses to church the day after prom always. And it was, it was was just what we did. But like, and this was after we found out about my oldest brother, like no longer a secret. But it was still so deeply ingrained. And so then I ended up wearing that the pink sparkly dress, whatever. No big deal. I liked them both. But I couldn't wear the one because it was too form-fitting. And then I go away to college. And I start dating a guy who lives in the fraternity house. Uh-oh. I didn't stay in my room. That's not the fraternity house culture. Not one bit. Here's the other thing really quick about what you said about like, kids not being allowed to be together and here you are at college where you can be wherever you want kids are going to have sex if they want to have sex whether you allow them to or you don't whether you give them a place to do it or you don't there are every place like literally yeah anywhere yeah anywhere Mm -hmm. so like it's just so strange to be so strict as opposed to just being like statistically this is probably going to happen. Statistically, this is the route that people take. And we should yeah. prepare our children that this is going to happen yes. so that they are confident 
in themselves and love themselves so they don't make bad decisions and hook up with the wrong person or do things they don't want to do or become objectified by somebody who also lives in this purity culture and has been raised to believe that women are their gifts that are pure and that they get to unwrap them. And it's just Mm -hmm. like, we just have to have conversations with our children and be like, this is a difficult conversation, but it's like literally why everybody's here. So why are we not talking about it? Smart. Do it smart. Well, in our college campus, the health center gave out condoms. I went home. I started dating. He's now my husband started dating my then boyfriend, November of freshman year. When I went home for the summer, my mom said, you've been dating him for a while. You just let me know if you want to go on birth control. And I was like, oh, that probably would be a good idea. She goes, okay, cool. Make me an appointment. Get me on birth control. Off we go. I wasn't on birth control my entire life until I was a freshman in college. Because it was just, I never would have even thought about doing it before then because of the rules in place. Like, I never, it never would have, it was never a thing for me. Now, did I go off and make out and dry hump my boyfriends in high school? Absolutely. Who didn't? But there was no sex and there was never even a question. But going to college, staying over at the fraternity house. And, you know, my husband and I, like like I said, from November freshman year, like I got to the point where if I wasn't at the fraternity house, the guys asked if we were okay. And <laughs> my parents knew that I stayed over there. They're not dumb, but they pretended like they didn't know. Because it's almost like don't ask, don't tell, you know? Absolutely. It's there's so much they don't know, then yes. The craziest thing is that I have a similar story. And again, I wasn't raised in the church, but again, there was like this very thick blanket of purity culture. And I'm not really sure where it came from, other than probably my grandparents and all that generational trauma. But I remember I was dating a guy when I was in college and he was in a frat and he went to SDSU. And I was always hanging out over there. And my mom literally like gave me a box of condoms and was like, just be smart. And I was like, is this the talk? Is this the you might be sexually active and I want you to be a responsible talk? You just like went out and bought me condoms, assumed things, bought me condoms and then just presented them to me like some sort of weird gift. Like, here you go, champ. It was the weirdest experience. And I was just like, uh, thank you. Like it creeped me out. It grossed That's me so out. Funny. I was like, this is the, w- what is happening right now? Stop. <laughs> like it was, it was horrible. I was like, I will promise. I was thinking like my daughter will never feel this way. Right. The things that we are like, okay, this will never happen with our kids. Well, and when anytime Chris would come to visit like over the summer, um, we were never allowed to sleep in the same room, even though my parents knew what was going on at school. They even knew though your they, mother they, put you on birth control. Yes. They like, he was not allowed. He slept. I think I slept on a couch or we had to pull out something. We slept separate. We were engaged and not allowed to sleep in the same room. We went anytime I visited his family. Now, his family was a little more protective. He's the oldest. I was the first girlfriend. His younger brother was 13. So they were a little more protective of all of it. But he would sleep downstairs on the couch outside of his parents' master bedroom. I slept upstairs in his room, which was back in the corner. And you had to walk past his sister and his brother's room to get to his room. Like we were separated by the entire family. 
And again, we weren't left alone. After we found out about my oldest brother, nothing was taboo in the family anymore. We talked about everything. The first Thanksgiving that my husband spent with my family, we got started talking about at the Thanksgiving dinner table, sexual encounters. And my, one of my brothers said something about when your hand gets stuck up there, it's like a Venus flytrap at the Thanksgiving table. Like all of this stuff went out the window. All of the rules, we went from don't talk about it at all to nothing is taboo. And which was great, but it's like, talk about like, holy, (laughs) I feel like that's the other side of parody culture. Like once you walk through the gate, like on one side, you have to pretend you're pure and you're perfect and everybody like super supreme of everything. And then you walk through the gate of I done it. And then all of a sudden it's like, all the sex jokes are on the table. And you're like talking about fisting at Thanksgiving. Like, cool. I am honestly shocked that my husband married me after that conversation. Wow. It was also, it was also nice that like we could stop pretending that we were these perfect little angels and we didn't do anything. Yeah. The other thing that gets me after my husband and I got married, my parents uh, moved out of their house that they'd lived in forever. They went and worked in Virginia for a while. My two of my brothers rented the house from them and my brother's girlfriend would come to visit and she would, you know, stay in the room with him. The first Thanksgiving we went home, she was also coming to Thanksgiving. And I asked my mom, I said, where is she going to sleep? And mom says, oh, she's going to sleep in brother's room with him. And I was like, excuse the fuck out of me. I said, they are dating. I said, you never let that happen. You knew what... Chris and I were doing, we were engaged. We were literally in the week before we were getting married and we couldn't sleep in the same room. And she's in double standard. And I'm like cursing as I'm talking to my mother, which never would have happened growing up. I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. And again, right? he was the youngest brother, gone through all of us. Like at that point, there were no rules. She's like, well, she would stay in his room when he was renting the room. I said, and Chris and I stayed in each other's rooms when we lived on campus. So why is that different? And that's another purity culture hangover. Rules for the girls that don't exist for the boys. You are told not allowed to even be in the same house if it's just the two of you. And if by chance it happens, you have to do it on the leather couch and be finished before anybody gets home. But you can't sleep in the same bed and you can't hang it like you can't be around each other and you have to be on one end of the house and the other end of the house and you have to like cross the moat full of alligators to get to each other. But the youngest, which is so true of the youngest anyway, the youngest gets carte blanche. Not only does he get to he just she can come out, stay, just lives in the room. Not a problem. We love her. She's great. What's the problem? You're just like, I'm sorry. So the question I had, which is a great segue here is. Let's talk about the kind of rules that you had as the only girl in this purity culture house compared to the rules of your brothers and their girlfriends. Oh, yes. I very rarely brought a boyfriend home like to hang out at the house because my brothers were always around. My senior year, I actually dated a guy who graduated a year ahead of my older brother and his younger sister was a senior with me. But even then, like, I would always go. There was a time where my youngest brother was in his room with his girlfriend making out, door wide open, had his hand up her pants. And my mom walks in and he doesn't even move his hands. He's like, the door's open. She's like, that is, and wow. I mean, yeah, I have a brother who is 18 months younger than me. 
and he never did like the short relationships. Like he had two girlfriends throughout all of high school and dated each of them for like a year and a half, two years. And so I, that stuff, I just, I didn't pay much attention to his stuff because he had a lot of similar rules, but same as me, he didn't bring his girlfriends around the house. Like they might come over to go swimming because we had a pool. And I think that's another thing that got me in most of my rules is my older brother never dated. So I was, I was the first, I was the only girl. So like I had all the rules, all the rules. By the time my youngest brother was grown up, they just, they just weren't there. They, they tried, they attempted. He's four years younger than me. He graduated high school the year I graduated college. And by then, like I said, like everything was out the window. It was whatever. But going back, this just came back to my mind when I uh, talked about the pool, my swimsuits growing up. That was, I, I was going to ask you what your swimsuits look like having a pool and being in your own home. I am a very disproportionate person. I am a large up top in swimsuits because boobs and a small on bottom. So one pieces didn't work for me. And I didn't like tankinis because I didn't like the floating stomach coverage. So I would wear bikinis. And of course, then my dad flipped his shit. I am at home. It's my own pool. I might go swimming somewhere else. And then it would be a problem. Or youth group swimming. When the youth group went swimming at one of the youth leaders' houses, I had to wear a tank top because I didn't own a one piece. I have no torso. And if the straps are long enough and it fits up top, it's going to be a saggy in the bottom. And if it fits in the bottom, my boobs are popping out the top. But I wasn't allowed to wear a bikini at a youth group event. But that's all that I could, like, that was literally the most modest swimsuit that I could wear was a bikini. And like, again, I'm not wearing something with like cups and push up. Was I buying them at Victoria's Secret? Yes, because that's what I could buy that would cover me and support me. Because if I bought a Walmart suit, there wasn't enough. And then people were upset because my boobs were, were bouncing. Like, I could not win, Roberta. I could not win because I had boobs jumping back years again, you know, in college, the tide over of all of my clothing rules, going to fraternity parties, I would borrow clothes from friends down the hall, because I didn't have anything that was on theme, or whatever, because all of my clothes were from, you know, high school times, or like, we would make a run to Gordman's to find something that worked for this party, and was sexy enough, because you didn't go to a fraternity party, you know, in your normal clothes. Like you didn't do that. Right. It's a party. And, you're not going to go dress modestly to a fraternity party when you're in college and you're young and you're experimenting and you're on your own for the first time. And it's just, it's, that's not what you expect in that situation. And the fact that you mm -hmm. only have modest clothes because you've lived in this ridiculous purity culture your whole life that you're having to either buy clothes at the last minute or like borrow sexy things from your friends. Like, it's just, it's unnecessary. It's just, it's so strange because like you're having to live under these rules that are like, really not even your parents follow these rules. Like nobody really follows these rules unless somebody's watching, mm -hmm. which is a very strange form of control. Yes. And it's, goes right along in with like culty stuff so your mm -hmm. whole life you live in these very controlled rules and as an it adult it still ties over to today yeah i tell you what roberta i still can't wear a crop top do you just feel I, there's bad something in my head yeah i i bought i'm stepping out of my comfort zone i bought crop tops and i'm just waiting for the weather to get warm enough for me to wear them 
I am 35 years old, Roberta, and I just bought my first crop top. I bought a really cute, like cropped tank top. And I, and I think I'm going to wear it under overalls because I can still, I still feel because again, I was also raised in purity culture, even though I didn't realize I was raised in purity (laughs) culture. I can still feel covered, but then also not at the same time. I don't know. Yes. But yes, I'm being a single woman again. I'm embracing doing what I want. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to wear that. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go meet this person, whatever it is. And it's like, I'm breaking that purity culture because even when I have a hesitation, like, "Mm, should I wear a tank top? It's like, why wouldn't I? Or why, why am I not going to wear a crop top? Is it because I think I look bad or because I think other people are going to judge me for it? Yes. So I am an avid runner. I run four miles a day, whatever. In the summer, I'm in Missouri. In the summer, it is 100 degrees and humid. For years, I would run in a tank top. My shorts would get shorter, whatever. My shorts could be booty shorts. But I would be like literally soaked through this tank top because I am also a sweater. I would be so uncomfortable with this thing that's clinging to me because what would they think if they saw my belly? And finally, one day I got comfortable enough. I took my tank top off while I was on the trail. There's a two mile trail that runs along the neighborhood that I run every day. But I got to the end of that trail and put that tank top back on to finish my run. And then slowly over time, I got to the point where like, I would still, I would carry the tank top with me and put it on if I felt like I needed to, or I would have it in the stroller because at this point I'm a mom and I'm running, pushing the stroller. And I'm still so worried about what will my neighbors think if they see my belly? If I went to the pool, it was no big deal. I wore my bikini and I wore it proudly, but I could not run in just a short, in just shorts and a sports bra. What is that? Purity culture. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And all of the years that I did the beach body stuff, I was, you know, one of their things is you got to post everything. You got to post your workouts every day. And I always did my workouts in sports bras and, and shorts, always. And I could post pictures and videos from my workouts in, in that. I could put it out on the internet, but I couldn't run through my neighborhood without a shirt on. I think it's because behind the screen is safe. Even though more people probably saw it behind the screen, if it's my neighbors, I'm going to see them on a regular basis because we live in the same area and they might, they might think something of the mom pushing her stroller, running with the dog who's not wearing a shirt. I remember taking before and afters for it works and taking it like to show my stomach from those stupid wraps where I had to suck it in and make it look like they worked. And 
I <laughs> felt okay posting those on the internet. I think I even put some sort of caveat, like I never do this or something stupid, but I posted them. Right. And then people are like, can I share these? And I was like, sure. I'm sure there's like a picture of me somewhere on someone's it works page somewhere, but you know, like I didn't have a problem with it then. And yep. the internet is far more harsh and judging than the neighborhood or the trail. And again, right? I don't know. I, and I mean, these people you'll never see again. Right. Is it because we're stuck in another high demand group that is giving us permission to forgive ourselves for violating this high demand group's ideology for the greater gain of money and fame and climbing to the top of the pyramid? Is that I never thought why of that. we don't that, care? I never even thought of that, but I bet that's what it was. Like it was allowed. It was permissible. It was the thing that you did. If you wanted, if you wanted to get more people to buy your stuff, you posted these pictures and you posted these videos and you showed what you were doing and you showed that it didn't matter what people thought you were comfortable in your skin. Thanks to these workouts and these wraps and everything else. You had that permission, but there was no one giving me permission to run without a shirt telling me it was okay. Where's the purity culture on the back end of MLMs? When they're asking us to post ourselves half naked to recruit and sell things, <laughs> it's modern, yeah, right? Show like, your body to make some money. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. Absolutely. Because it's for the greater good of the pyramid scheme. And you can objectify yourself sexually, and that's fine. Oh, yes. But again, oh, you're yes. not actually doing it yourself because you've got all these voices in your head going, you should post those pictures. You could get so many people. That's how I built my team. That's Change how your I angle. Check your lighting. Yeah. Don't forget yeah. to suck it in. Yes. Well, and it's so funny. Like with clothing, I was super covered up and modest in the clothes that my parents would buy me. In college and when we first got married before we had kids, I was wearing the short skirts, the tight skirts, the low cut tops, the form fitting clothing. And then I had kids and now my mom uniform is leggings and tank tops and t-shirts. And like, I might be more covered, but it also, that modesty bullshit kicked in with breastfeeding my children too, because heaven forbid I should feed my kids. Heaven forbid my stomach makes someone uncomfortable. I wore two shirts. I nursed my kids a combined total of four and a half years. I wore two shirts while I was nursing. Because I wore a tank top that I could, that I would just clip into my nursing tank and I just take down that side and then my stomach was still covered and my shirt would be up and you literally saw nothing. I did because other people were uncomfortable. I'm like, it was summer. It was a hundred degrees. We were outside walking around the zoo and I'm wearing a tank top underneath my tank top so that I can feed my kid without a little bit of boob showing or stomach showing. And who are these creepers who are watching people breastfeed their children? Like, you need to stop doing that, too. Like, stop watching people. Put a blanket over your baby. You eat under a fucking blanket. You put a blanket over your head. I'm doing something. You're watching, you creeper. You put a blanket over your head. Yep. About that one forever. (laughs) One of the first things that I bought once I found out I was pregnant was a breastfeeding cover. It was one of the first things I bought. I, one of the I first didn't even I was think gifted. about that just till just right now. This you can you can take this and you can feed her anywhere. I can feed her anywhere I want, regardless. I don't need to do this. But yes, it was one of the first things I bought. I want to ask you what your husband thought. Was was he raised in the church too? Was this normal behavior, or was he like, why are your parents so weird about all of this stuff? He was raised Catholic. 
okay yeah okay <laughs> all right so like opposite ends of the religious spectrum but still very much he also experienced the loosening up when he got to college and was living in the fraternity house and he didn't mind at all that my wardrobe got a little more skimpy and scanty and tight like it's a joke they every year during rush they had rush girls they were allowed certain girls at the rush events and I was always one of the rush girls. I was always around the house. I'm very extroverted. I would talk to anybody. So the guys were like, Kendall, come talk to, because the guys can't talk to all the, you know, they always had to have rush girls because some of the guys were more comfortable talking to girls or whatever. I showed up in like capris to one of the events and one of the guys joked, he goes, Kendall, you're too covered. Go put on a short skirt. <laughs> I was going to say, like, Kendall, your ankles are showing. You know, and it was funny because he, he jokes. It's the one time you cannot wear, like you can't have a short enough skirt. It's like, go put on a short skirt to come talk to the freshmen who might want to join the fraternity. <laughs> it's so silly because we all have a body. Like, we all have a body. We all have the bumps and the wiggles and the jiggles. And, the, and, and we have all of it. We have the spots. We have the scars. We've got the moles. We've got the stretch marks. We all have it right. in some way. Yeah, but not penises and not boobs and not vaginas. We're not allowed to... To have those, those are or shoulders. That's the devil shoulders. trying to come in and corrupt your pure heart. Yeah, it's just it's wild, and it, it's like I, here's the funny thing. Like again, I was not raised in the church. I wasn't. My dad was a self-proclaimed atheist. He told us all the time. Yet he lived so deep in purity culture, and the same with my mother. I remember when I found out I was pregnant. I had been with my ex for two years and we had lived, we were living together. And I was like, my mom's going to kill me. My mom's going to kill me. I was terrified. I said, we have to tell her parents on the same day. My mom was coming to the salon to get her hair done. I waited until she was leaving. <laughs> I walked her out and I was like, I have something to tell you. And I was like, we're pregnant. And then I'm like, don't tell anybody. And then I got home and there was like three texts from her friends that were congratulating me. And I was like, thanks, mom. Uh, but I was terrified. I was like, she's going to be so mad at me. She's going to hate me. And it wasn't, she had given me condoms, to, you know, 15 years earlier, whatever. Yeah. And I was a almost 30 year old woman when I got pregnant with my daughter. And I was still morally terrified. That my mother would tell me that I was, you know, yeah. I was like, she's going to shame me. I don't even want to tell her. That is not a normal response no. to wanting to tell your mother she's going to be a grandmother. And she was, she was not what I expected. She was excited about it. And she was like, oh, I'm going to be a grandma. And she was really excited. But I the, still, like, there was so much of that generational trauma on top of me that I had massive anxiety about telling my mother she was going to become a grandmother for the first time. I shouldn't have felt that way. Yeah. It should have been a beautiful thing. I should have been able to take her to lunch and it be a big, big, huge thing. But I felt that I had to squeeze it in at the last appointment where I only had five mm -hmm. minutes to be like, guess what? We're pregnant. Sorry. Oh, here's my new client. I'll see you later. Bye. And like, go back to the salon. Yeah. Well, and can we talk about how purity culture ties in so closely with infertility and the fertility world and sex education? Oh because gosh, I was yes. always taught 
don't come off birth control because you're going to get pregnant the second you come off birth control. My mom is one of five. I am one of five. My mom's oldest sister has 10 kids, would have been 13 if not for miscarriages and stillbirths. The next one down has two. My mom has five. The, ne- or the next one has seven. The next one has four, would have been five if not for miscarriage. Like my mom's family, the women in my mom's family think about a penis and get pregnant. So it was drilled into my head. Don't have sex. And if you're going to have sex, be on birth control. Don't come off birth control until you're ready to get pregnant because you will get pregnant immediately. When we decided we were ready to have kids, I came off the birth control and it was nine months before I was pregnant. After that, after my son and everything else, we had three miscarriages. I learned more about fertility when trying to conceive our children than I learned in 28 years leading up to that because you don't talk about it. Purity culture says that you talk only about abstinence and you talk about STDs to scare people away from talking about sex. You don't teach people how fertility really works. You don't teach people how you actually get pregnant. You don't teach people that you can actually only get pregnant about seven days a month. But no, it's anytime, anytime you have sex, you can get pregnant. And that's 100% that purity culture and you know, abstinence only sex education, because you don't dare teach someone how to have sex responsibly and how to like actually know about your fertility responsibly. No, you wait until you're struggling and losing babies left and right to figure out what is going on and how to possibly prevent that because you just don't talk about that. It's just, it just seems like a war on women constantly. Absolutely. Yeah. It's you, so you can't do anything right. You do, you zig this way, you're wrong. You zag, you're wrong. You zig, you should have zagged. You zag, you should have zigged. And it's just like, I remember feeling that becoming a mom that I couldn't win. I remember becoming a wife that I couldn't win. I remember just being a girl when I was young. I can't win. Uh, And and to go through your entire life just feeling like I, I can't do anything right, already coupled with the anxiety and the undiagnosed mental disorders that I had of already feeling that way too. And just like on top of, on top of, on top of, and you just get locked. You just get locked into this idealization and this, like this mindset of to be good, you must be pure and to be pure, to be pure. You can't know anything to have any knowledge. You're impure because you are learning things that you shouldn't know. And if you don't know things, if you're, if you are ignorant to outside world and how things actually work, then you are pure. You know, I see things like parents being like, you're not going to teach my kids about sex and you're not going to like, why, why teach them? Why don't you want your children to understand how their bodies work? Do you want them to be pregnant? Do you want them to have unwanted pregnancies and unwanted diseases and unwanted uncurable things because you were afraid to educate your children? They should know this. They should know how they can get pregnant. They should know how they can't. There was a girl in middle school who thought that she got pregnant because she put on her boyfriend's dirty boxers. She wasn't pregnant, but she was worried that she might be because she put on. Well, first off, why are you putting on your boyfriend's dirty boxers? Freaking gross. Wow. And that's not how this works. Yeah. Any yes. comment section on social media, you can and see people are like, well, I didn't know that. And it's like, were you absent that day or are they just not teaching it? Or are you being willfully ignorant or were you not given that information? And if you were not given that information, why not? Did your parents not sign the permission slip that day? Or (laughs) it's just, it just seems like such a disservice. And then again, it goes into exploiting your children. 
not Mm -hmm. giving your children the information they need to be healthy, responsible, sexually active adults, or even minors, if that's where they're at in their life, to not be responsible Mm -hmm. is a disservice to your children. If you are not going to follow through on raising them their whole life, then what is going on? Right. You have a responsibility to raise your children to not be assholes. That's what I say all the time is that I'm just trying to raise her to not be an asshole. Okay. Mm -hmm. We don't need any more assholes in this world. And that is my duty to raise a child to not join the ranks of the asshole club. We have conversations about really hard stuff. She'll bring things up and I'm like, how do you know about that? And why are we talking? You're 11. But again, I have to realize that like when I was 11, I didn't have the internet. I didn't have friends that had the internet or had friends that had other ways to get information. Just because you're sheltering your child at home from sex in your purity culture bubble doesn't mean that they're not going to go to school and sit next to little Johnny who's like, look at what I learned this weekend. Like it's you cannot shelter your children. You cannot control no. everything they do. Again, high demand control doesn't work. You cannot control your children, but you can give them the tools so that then when they find themselves in these situations, they go, what did my mom or my dad tell me? Okay, this is what I need to do to protect myself. This is what I need to do to be responsible. It yes. is such a disservice to the younger generations to throw them out there and be like, don't have sex or you'll die. Good luck. The end. What is this? Mean girls? Who are these people? Coach car? No, you don't get to No, That doesn't work. And also with that alcohol education. Oh my God. Just substance abuse education in general, especially since marijuana is mostly recreational legal, like almost everywhere. Purity culture. You didn't do that shit. You didn't do it. You just didn't. What was the program there? Drug abuse resistance education. Oh, yeah. And you've been and you did your dare pledge and you you pledged to not do drugs and not drink alcohol. And, you know, but again, there wasn't education like right. I'm not saying educate kids on where to get the good drugs. I'm saying educate them on how to be responsible about it. I've always said that I'm going to be the parent, not who provides, but who might are going to be comfortable enough to call me and be like, mom, I am in this situation and I want out. Mom, I had a drink or two and I cannot drive my car. Can you come pick me and my friends up? Because none of us are sober enough to drive. 2 a.m., you call me. I will come pick you up. No questions asked. We will Absolutely. talk about it the next day when you're sober and the hangover is gone. And we will. there will be consequences. However, I'm not going to roll up and yell at you guys the entire way home. I'm going to get all of you home safely because you made the smart decision to call me when you need me. And- Absolutely. I saw this meme that was like, something to the effect of like, how would you want your child to respond when they're in a situation of danger? Either is it like, oh my God, my mom's going to kill me or, oh my God, I need to call my mom. And I want to be the mom that my child says, I need to call my mom as opposed to being afraid that I'm going to do something. And so she can't come to me. And I want my kids' friends to feel the same way. Like I want them to know like, okay, well, I might not be able to call my mom right now, but I know that I can call Miss Kendall and she's going to come get me and she's not going to rip into me. She's going to get me home and let my parents do it the next day. Like I said, I'm not come to a kegger at my house. Let's do keg stands. But if you're out at a party in the cornfield and they're doing these drugs that you want no part of, but you are also in no shape to drive home because like when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. It was just don't drink. Don't do drugs. There wasn't any safe education about it. There wasn't a, you know, if you're going to get your drugs, get them from a known source. 
if you're going to do alcohol, absolutely love that I've seen on TikTok is Borg. Have you seen that? No, the, Borg? The, the newest generation of college students, they have gallon jugs and they're half full of water and they've got like the crystal light mix in it to make it flavored and they pour in their alcohol, however much alcohol they want. They've got liquid IV in there. So it's this alcoholic beverage. They carry around their own Borg. It's got a lid on it. It never leaves their site. It's not getting stuff put in it. It's got liquid IV. It's got their hydration. They might get drunk off their asses, but they're not going to be as hungover and they're safe because it's got a lid. Working, yes. We were drinking jungle juice out of five gallon Gatorade containers that who knows what was poured into it? Who knows when the last time was that that was cleaned and it's getting poured into solo cups at the fraternity house. Yeah. We're passing around a bottle of strawberry Boone's farm around a bonfire on a beach, (laughs) hoping that someone's not dropping something in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's the kind of education, like it seems crazy, but that's the kind of education I love because that right there is you're getting drunk, but you're getting drunk safe. And everyone has their own Borg and they, they named their Borg. And it's, I don't even remember what the letter, that the acronym stands for, but there's an, but yeah, that's, you've got your lid, you've got your water, you have your liquid IV, you have your alcohol, you have your flavor, and you just walk around all night with your Borg that you've named. I mean, I, I think it's brilliant. It because that is doing alcohol smart as opposed to <sighs> what we did. Because <laughs> let's be real, if we're lucky we're alive. Let's be real. Those fraternity houses didn't clean out those gallon, those five gallon jugs at the end of the parties. They went and sat in the communal shower until the next weekend. Ugh. So gross. Yeah. Kids are <laughs> right? so gross. But I mean, you make an amazing and an excellent point. To anybody who's still listening and hasn't turned this off because they're like, they're just allowing our kids to have sex and drink and just do drugs, <laughs> however they're gonna do it anyway right they are if you tell Absolutely. someone don't do this they're like oh i want to try it though like immediately even if they didn't even know what it was they're like well why can't i do it i want to know it's just our nature so if you're mm-hmm. gonna tell your child not to do something and then not give them a safe alternative then that's a disservice too right let's right. talk to our children about the things that they're already going to be doing talk about it at age appropriate times you don't have yes. to have this converse, this drug and alcohol conversation with your 10-year-old, but when they start sort of talking about that or things coming up or they're laughing at the jokes on TV where you're like, okay, you were laughing yeah. at that keg stand on that show. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that is and where you might experience that. And you need to be your child's safe space. Another thing I saw the other day was, it was a meme and it said, be the person you needed as a child. Because we couldn't talk about it because of the purity culture. Everything was taboo. Absolutely fucking everything was a taboo subject. If it was even slightly spicy, forget it. You didn't talk about it. If it was even slightly left, you d- forget it. You didn't talk about it because that's not what purity culture is. And it's, and it's a generational thing because like I said, when my mom got pregnant, she was 19. She got pregnant in the guy's basement. My mom was sent away to a home for unwed mothers. For the oh last couple months of her pregnancy, God, her baby daddy's family found this place for her. My grandparents didn't fight it. She was sent away to have the baby. And then she came back to their little town. But like, it wasn't talked about. She was sent away. So of course, the, again, there's that generational trauma from the purity culture. And I am like, let's smash the hell out of this. 
let's talk about it. My best friend has a daughter who is almost a year older than my oldest. And I've, I told her, I said, if you don't want to have the uncomfortable conversations with her, or if she doesn't want to have them with you, you send her down. I'll have them. She may not look me in the eye for a couple of weeks, but they, they need to happen. And you know, my friend's not the kind who's going to try to hide it, but she might still like not necessarily want to have these conversations with the daughter. And I'm like, let's go. Let's do it. I had the same agreement with a friend back home. I was like, you need me to FaceTime your child and talk about this stuff? Let's go. I think that's brilliant. Let's do it. Text I'm your bestie to- right now and be like, hey. Do you want to be my sex talk bestie when our kids have to do this? And let's support each other. Yeah, because I get it. It can be uncomfortable to talk to your kids about it. The talk when I got my first period, super uncomfortable because my mom was like, mm, let's have this conversation only because we have to now. And then that Same. made me feel uncomfortable. And then I was uncomfortable about it. And it was shameful because Same. you didn't talk about it. And then the sex talk was quite literally, let me know if you'd want to go on birth control. Same. That was the extent. Everything else I learned from sex, education, or just doing it. Yeah. And like watching movies, not like porn, but like watching movies where teens were hooking up and things. You know what I mean? Like, because we don't talk to our children about this stuff, this is the situations your children might find themselves in with other people's children who haven't had these conversations either. So my freshman year of college. You know, of course the dorms, it was a co-ed dorm, but we were separated by wing and by floor. So my wing was all girls. We discovered we had access to HBO on college campus. Every Thursday night at nine o'clock was porn night. It was Cat House, Dr. Sue, Bunny Ranch, whatever. And so we just made it a thing. And every Thursday night, and sometimes our guy friends from the fraternity would come over and hang out. We'd have a mix of guys and girls hanging out at nine o'clock porn night. And it was hilarious. Like it wasn't like true like full-on porn that we were watching but it was like it was as close as we got in college on our college campus provided cable (laughs) so we found you know the one or two rooms who had tvs it's funny i had a tv my roommate was from japan and if she was in the room on thursday night we would move my tv to another room because she was not about that So rather than make her extremely uncomfortable in the room she had to live in for a year, we just unplugged the TV and moved it to another room (laughs) so we could watch porn nights. You see, anybody who's listening is like, oh, my God, you cannot protect your children. You cannot protect them by not talking about things. The only way them. Yeah. The only way you can protect anybody is by educating them. Educating them about scams and frauds and sex and drugs and alcohol and bad people and narcissists and whatever. You have to educate people because they don't know. Because we've been stuck in a culture that's like, "Mm, that's uncomfortable. We're not going to talk about it. And so nobody knows what's going on. Not a word. Not a word. I didn't Because heaven forbid. uh, Yeah, I didn't even discover half of these things until after I turned 40. I learned a lot of this in my 40s, in the second yeah. half of my life. I mean, don't do not do that to your kids. Empower them. Educate them. Give them the tools to make the right decisions. Yeah. Let your daughter show her shoulders. That was another thing. My dad was like, I can see your bra straps and you go change your shirt. What is sexual about a bra strap? Then Nothing, the, really. Fine, I'll just wear a strapless bra all the time, right? Like, I don't, I never understood the, 
I mean, yeah, don't have your crack hanging out, but undergarments must be invisible in the, like in the dress code. Must be invisible. No no undergarments whatsoever. So the girls so who didn't silly. have to wear bras because they didn't have tits were just fine. But those of us who needed over-the-shoulder boulder holders by the time we were in high school, I mean, I by the time I graduated, Roberta, I was a triple D. There was wow. no skipping a bra. Well, and it's funny because my mom had taken me shopping for brand new bras and we're the same size, but I got the cutesy ones because I was 12. And then a month later, I needed bigger bras. So my mom got four brand new bras because her daughter was now bigger than she was. And eventually she got to the point where she was like, I can't help you. I don't know. I don't understand the problem you're going through with these big boobs. I don't get it. I'm sorry. And so the other day she sent me, she sent me a text. She goes, I have a question from a friend whose daughter has big boobs and neither she nor I know how to help her because we don't have them. So she sent me a bra question because she's like, I don't know. I can buy my bras off the rack. Her friend doesn't know her friend has the same size boobs. She like, she can walk into any store and find an adorable bra in her size. Her friend's daughter just wanted a cute bra in a big size and had no idea where to look. And she's yeah. like, Kendall, we don't know these things. <laughs> That's a whole nother problem, right? Because I feel like any bra that fits me is like not cute, like at all. No, they are beige or black or white and they yeah. are super thick and they're super high coverage. I want a demi bra in hot pink leopard. Yes. I want to be like, I'm wearing something sexy under this. Like I just, not like, here's my gigantic over the boulder shoulder holder that's covered by my shirt. Like, you know what I mean? Like. I that's yeah. one thing that I as someone who has boobs I've always been upset that the cutest ones do not come in my size. Once you get past the C forget it. They're not. Nope. And you can't walk you can't walk into Walmart and find a 34 triple B bra. You can't. No, you cannot. Cuz if you have big cups you you must have a big band, right? If you have a small band you can't have big boobs. It's against the rules. It's against, it's against the uh, lingerie industry rules. I literally, once I outgrew Victoria's Secret, I could shop at Frederick's of Hollywood. Yeah, that's that's been an option before. And, and then Torrid has some pretty good bras, but their straps are really thick. And I don't like the really thick straps, but the cups no. fit. Mm-hmm. Bra industry, if you're listening, you have work to do. Yes. Let's get something that's cute for the big boobs. I don't want beige anymore. No more sad beige bras. What is that? When you are wearing a double or a triple B in high school and you can only wear a white or a beige or a black bra. Like, I realize no one's going to see, like, no one, absolutely no one was seeing my bras in high school. But I wanted a cute bra because when I was getting changed after school in the locker room for cheer practice, all of my friends had freaking cute bras. And I'd be like, oh, that's cute. Where did you get it? Oh, they don't carry my size. Oh, I love that. What's the brand? Oh, they don't come in my size. Or if they come in my size, they're not going to come in that color. You know, more I talk to women about like real things we're not supposed to talk about, the more I'm like, oh my God, me too. Oh my God, me too. You know what I mean? And I wonder, is it also intentional Uh that we're not allowed to talk about these things? Because if we did, the men would know that we know, right? Like it's all intentional. Let's talk about men designing pockets. 
Yeah, why don't our designing women's you know clothes? I heard there was like the reason that women's clothes, this could totally be wrong too. And I didn't Google it. So I don't know. But I saw something where it was like the reason that like women's clothing doesn't usually have pockets or didn't was because it was like they didn't want like women hiding things in their pockets, like witches and things. Like it's just this weird, like Puritan ridiculousness of like, oh, they're hiding things in their pockets. So we have to take their pockets because we can't trust them to not be witches. Like it's just. <laughs> you can't have space stupid, to put her tampon in pockets. The most stupid things ever. And it's just, we're just <laughs> all learning the truth and just breaking all of these stigmas and talking to yeah. each other, which was the biggest taboo and realizing that all of our struggles as women are the same, including and purity culture and bras men. that aren't cute. <laughs> <laughs> to circle back to the point of the conversation. <laughs> right. So are you ready to do some rapid fire questions? Yes. You know, what's hilarious. I know these are coming and I still didn't even think to prepare anything. <laughs> It works better that I've way. I've listened to every single episode and I knew it was coming. <laughs> now, you were in an MLM. We briefly mentioned Beachbody. You were also an advocate. Even though we didn't talk about it, you still were duped by MLMs as well. So let's do, because we didn't talk too much about MLM, let's edit these to talk about purity culture. So what is, what is one word that encompasses how you feel about purity culture? Skeevy. It is pretty skeevy. Give me a warning to somebody who is actively living in this purity culture, in their church, with children who are listening to this going, oh, my God, I think that I'm I think I'm a part of this. Give me a warning to help them maybe see some of the light. Start talking. If you think that this is what you're living in, be like, "Okay, this is where my brain's at. And then. Start talking to your children because if you don't break the cycle or even just open that circle a little bit, it's just going to bleed into the next generation and the next generation is going to have just as much issues. Open your mouth and speak to someone. Brilliant. I think that just talking is one of the biggest catalysts for change It's just opening your mouth and speaking your truth. What is the worst MLM, in your opinion? I'm going to have to go with Beachbody. I cannot tell you. I have a major history with disordered eating and over-exercising to make up for what I consume when I would consume it. And there was program, a certain program that uses colorful containers that I tried to do, and it sent me spiraling. It's just not, and just the message, the message that that one puts out that you aren't good enough. I could rant about that. That's a whole other episode, Roberta. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And everyone listening, you are amazing and perfect and wonderful and good enough just as you are sitting where you're at. So yes, don't buy those little rainbow containers. You'll be real hungry. Uh, what is the hardest <laughs> lesson that you learned being raised in purity culture? That sex isn't bad. Having desires and fulfilling those desires does not make you a whore and will not send you straight to hell. That is such an excellent point. Like having a healthy sex life, I was always enjoying that. I was like, is this make me bad because of how I was raised? And there can't be even slightly kinky. 
how many people who were raised in the purity culture are now like finding their kinks and finding out that they like things that are a little bit spicy and it doesn't have to be vanilla. And then they feel bad about it. Like what? It's okay. It's okay. Sex is not bad. Liking to be choked is not bad. Handcuffs, not bad. As long as it's consensual and you enjoy it, rock on. It's not absolutely you to consent. Re- meeting with your partner and being like, "Hey, I kind of am into this. Can we try this? Let's do this. Here's a safe word. Here's what I'm comfortable with. Here's what I'm not comfortable with. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I'm not willing to do." And having that conversation and getting everything out on the table and then being like, "Let's go." You will have the most incredible experience of your life. You just have to let go of the shame that's yes every single person that is alive today guess how you got here ding 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 uh and then give me a positive takeaway aside from a robust sex life (laughs) (laughs) that's a huge positive Um, i think right hello um i would say probably this is gonna sound so weird but self-confidence as an adult because growing up i was taught to hide myself I was taught to make myself almost invisible, cover up any part of me that partly sexualized. Now as an adult, I don't give a fuck. And this has taken many years, like I said, beyond the eating disorders and through the beach body bullshit. I now, as a mother of two with saggy, sad tits and a little bit of a mom pooch, I am more confident and stronger about my body than I ever was growing up or in college or anything else because I have realized why I was the way I was growing up. And that self-realization has been key in my self-confidence as an adult and a mom of two. And like, you know what? I've got a mom bod, but fuck it. (laughs) I mean, same. I had a kid. Sorry. Like, this is what I look like. If you don't like it, then move on. (laughs) Like, bye. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's amazing to have confidence like that. Uh, Confidence and reclaiming my confidence has been a a really big part of my healing as well. And it, yeah, I'm right there with you. It's just such an incredible feeling to be like, I don't, I don't fucking care. Sorry. I just don't care. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing these stories and having so much laugh. Thank you for being the one to help introduce this topic of like purity of culture course. and sex is, you know, good and not evil and taboo. Uh, and to open this dialogue, because I know there's going to be people listening that go, oh my God, I have a story too. Email me, please. Let's talk about it. Let's continue this education of sex positive and purity culture out the door type education where we're breaking these stigmas and we're forgiving ourselves forgiving yes. our younger selves for falling for the lies and and not living our fullest life when we didn't know any better and Absolutely. so yeah you having the confidence now and being able to live that life and embrace that life that you weren't able to when you were younger. I, I think it's so beautiful and I am so proud of you. And I'm so happy that you came and shared your story with us today. Thanks for letting me. It's been awesome. 
Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.